Welcome to the Future of What. I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Portland has a reputation for harboring a lot of weirdos, but probably the funniest bunch are the people in town right now as we speak for the Bridgetown Comedy Festival. The festival runs from June 1st through June 5th, and today we talk to the festival's co-founder, Andy Wood, and comedian Shane Torres about what makes Bridgetown special and some of the parallels between comedy and the music business. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crumbs from your table? Can I interfere in your crisis? In the studio today, we have with us Andy Wood, who is the co-founder and director of the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, and the very funny Shane Torres. Welcome, you guys. Thank you for having us. us, It's so nice to have you here on the couch. It's great to be here. Likewise. Yeah. So... First, just give us an overview of how did the Bridgetown Comedy Festival start? It was about nine years ago that Matt Bronger and I were doing a show over at, oh God, it was like a speakeasy type bar that was in the basement of a church type building downtown. It's gone now and I forgot what it's called. That little jazz club place? Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Wasn't Lime Lounge or something? Something like that. Yeah. So Matt would come up, Matt's from Portland and lives in Los Angeles and he would come up every year or so and do some shows and I opened for him a couple times and after the shows we were having drinks and talking about how... There was this great comedy scene coming up in Portland, but there wasn't a lot of like exposure for it. Like people weren't really paying attention to that compared to music and other things in town. And there also weren't a lot of touring acts coming through that we liked. And we just started spitballing the idea of having some friends of his in LA come up and do just a single night of shows. And as he asked his friends about coming up, so many of them were like, oh yeah, I love Portland. I've always wanted to do a show up there that we decided to make it into like a multi-day thing. And then it just kept snowballing from there to the point that even the first year in, in the spring of 08, we had like 50 or 60 comedians come to town for that three-day weekend and just kind of caught on as this sort of grassroots thing run by comedians. And Pat Oswald heard us talking about it on this comedy message board and he volunteered to come out and do it the first year. And that really like helped us not even make money, but just not lose money because <laughs> I just put everything on my credit card. And I was like, let's see what happens. <laughs> And if Patton hadn't come, it would have lost so much. I would have been like, that's the end of this thing. But luckily that show did well. So we're like, okay, let's keep this going a couple of years and see what happens. And it just turned into this kind of monster. Like, you know, we have 140 comedians this year. This is our ninth year and uh, about a hundred shows over the course of five days. So it's, it's, I, I never thought it would get this big, but uh, people seem to like it. So. And how about the venues? At the at first, nine years ago, were venues kind of skeptical? Yeah, I think actually we were going to do it at just one venue and Jen Lane of Barfly suggested trying to do it all in the Hawthorne, Barmuda Triangle, Stumble Zone area like where Mount Tabor Theater used to be and uh, the Eagles Lodge and Baghdad, Hawthorne Theater. Space Room. And Space all Room, yeah. yeah. So we turned a bunch of bars that were, don't even have stages into stages. So they were like fine with it. The Bar of the Gods let us put a PA on the back patio like, yeah, sure, knock yourself out. Yeah, I think the venues were pretty easy. The first couple of years, it was easier than now when Portland's become this, you know, big tourist town and, and everybody can command higher prices for things and stuff. So early on, it was a much more shambly. <laughs> it was very, it was rough around the edges, but in a fun way, I think. Yeah, it was easy to talk those venues into just like letting us put on a little show in their back patio or whatever. I think that's very Portland too. Like that, I've always fa- had that sense. I've lived here about nine years, and and that you know when I first got here, when I first actually came through here on tour with my band in two thousand one, you know we went to like a taco bar that was all 
the the menu was made out of leather that had been hand worked with like metal studs and like little metal letters. Yeah. And I was like, this is like this artisan taco place. You know, it's like <laughs> someone was just like, I'm a metal and leather worker and I'm going to start a taco stand. But also like you're at, right now you're a waitress. So bring my tacos. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. That is at the time, yes. But you know what I mean? It's like, it's always been that kind of a place where you're like, you know, with a, I've got five bucks and a dream. And yeah, yeah, I can totally. do this. And it seems that that really sounds familiar. Like bars who are just like, sure kids knock yourself out yeah. do some comedy on the terrace see what happens yeah like you know Tig Notaro was performing on that back patio all these people who have since become like really big names super in comedy. famous yeah yeah just <laughs> performing for like literally 12 people on the back patio of a bar right it was like yeah like Hannibal and Kinane and yeah, all these people yeah yeah and like Funchess it was like now and now it's just like all of them are famous they're like too famous to do the festival now I know <laughs> I can't, I can't <laughs> it is weird like when you see your friends like Oh, this is cool. And then all of a sudden they're so like, happy for you. I am so happy for him. And I'm just like, oh, you're like rich yeah. <laughs> and famous. Like you're a prosperous person. Thanks for buying my hotel room to let me open right, up for right. you. But that's, I kind of want to talk to you guys about this because I am really fascinated by this whole thing in America with comedy, right? Because And I feel like it's been like the last 10 years where there's yeah, been yeah. this rise in, I guess what we're calling alt comedy, like alternative comedy. I don't even know if I that's even the know term what we're calling any- it. I almost think that that's as dead as as it's sort of like in politics, like the culture wars are kind of over. And I think in the 2020 election, there are going to be things that no one even debates anymore. Like both sides are going to be like, yes, of course, gay marriage. Right. The same way like alt comedy isn't alt comedy. It's just alt comedy won. So that's just what comedy is now. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and like, I mean, the real alternative is like won. guys in suits now. Like if, right. they, if there <laughs> yeah. is any, like the, I think it turned into a thing where people stopped doing comedy in the eighties, like everybody else that was doing it. Does that make sense? Like, Everybody had the suits and the, what's the deal with men, men and women are different now. And now the alternative is like, oh, just talk about yourself and find something yeah. genuine. It's what it's more encouraged than like be in this box and like, right. well, you know, sell a sitcom with your face attached to it. Not that I want to disagree with you, but I still, I've talked to a lot of comedians who, who say, and it's like when they're out on the road and they're in Omaha, there's people out there who just want to hear d- jokes. Well, yeah. I mean, there's still rooms where you kind of have to learn the nuts and bolts. There, there's rooms where you can do the inside sort of meta comedy, and there's rooms where you have to just entertain yeah. a crowd as if they haven't seen comedy before. So you'd have to be cognizant, like, cognizant of that. But. Yeah. I mean, I go all over now. I travel a lot. I like. I just opened for Kanane on his special in Chicago at the Metro, which is the coolest audience you're ever going to get in your life. And a week before, I was at the Harrisburg Funny Stop, where they had a <laughs> sign up that said, don't use your pagers during the show. So, <laughs> so like, I mean, there's clearly the two different things. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it typically is more out in the sticks that people are like, want to see like, you know, the USA Comedy Hour kind of variety of comedian as opposed to somebody who's experimental and weird and is going to do like a word jumble on stage or something weird like that. Right. Well, I mean, I, I guess that's what I'm saying. It's like, to me, you know, yes, maybe alt comedy is not the right term anymore, but at the same time, there's still this brand of comedy that we all yeah. know what we're talking about. We know what we're going to see yeah, at Bridgetown. Yeah. And there's people, you know, I live across the river up in Washington state. There's people in Vancouver, Washington who are like, let's go out to giggles and see, you know, it's like, I could <laughs> right. never bring them to see Shane Torres. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, I couldn't okay. bring them to see these. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. I guess yeah. I, I'm just in my, a bubble of my own creation kind of because like, the comedy that I see around me is all this stuff that I like. So I'm like, yeah, that's just what comedy is. It's just good now. But of course, there's still all kinds of comedy. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, your, your alternative is not the right word anymore, but it is like there. some people are certainly used to the idea of button down suit, like five minute late night, like Carson sets of comedy. Yeah. You know, like those kind of comics who are 
my wife is just like this. I mean, that's that's my Ray Romano. But yeah, that kind of comedy and alternative alternative comedy, for lack of a better term, will always they're coexisting now as opposed yeah. to where before I think the alternative stuff had to be done in like punk rock bars and stuff, and now that now it's people have found a way to make money off of it. So like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And that's I mean, I talk about this because we started putting out comedy records in two thousand eleven. I think. And that was great. You know, it's been great. We've been really enjoying it. It's been successful and people are into it, which is fabulous, you know, for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I also have noticed that in terms of the culture as a whole, there's so many more places for comedians to do their work. I mean, first of all, podcasting, boom. Yeah. Huge. Like who doesn't have a podcast now, right? But Me. I was talking to somebody. <laughs> but you do, yeah, don't but you? you do have a radio. You had that radio show. Yeah, that, so that, you, yeah, that ended real abruptly. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you did move, Shane. I did move, but I, it's fine. It's, I just don't have a podcast. <laughs> we don't, okay, We've set we don't up have a podcast. I can't. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start right. a Kickstarter for Everybody my new podcast. Everybody but Shane has yeah. a podcast. That's right. right? I'm an individual. Well, you're in a, you're, see, you're, you're starting the next wave yeah. of people who don't have podcasts. I'll be underappreciated there, too. Totally. And then people we know, they work there in Hollywood. They're working on comedy shows. They're writers. They're, you know, people are getting shows left, right, and center. I mean, Hari Kondabolu just got a, you know, pilot for a series. I mean, all sorts of stuff. Kamau Bell, yeah. mm-hmm. Amy Schumer, I mean, all these all these people. So there's a lot more places, I think, in the culture for this type of comedy that we're talking about to yeah. flourish, and it is flourishing. Somebody said something really funny to me once. I think it was last time we talked about comedy on the show. They were saying, you know, probably it's weird that musicians haven't gotten into podcasting because there's probably like 10 million people that would love to listen to Dave Grohl just talk about like sit around with oh, his buddies and talk about he get, would get be killing like, it. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. I chat, just want to hear stories about, about Nirvana. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just yeah. Stories about that's the road, point. whatever. Yeah. People would love that, but like no musicians don't do that. Well, you know, Song Exploder. That's a great podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, like yeah, an that's exception, cool but I think probably in general, maybe people would think it's hard because you'd have to get rights if you want to actually play music. But if it was just musicians talking, that would be. Right? Too. Wouldn't yeah. that be amazing? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, musicians are not doing that. It's also very interesting. It's like there's a a podcast for everything now. Yeah. Too. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin has a massive wrestling podcast. Like millions of people download it every yeah, week. Yeah. And, it, and it's just like, well, they, these you figure most of these people couldn't even work a computer that would want to listen to this guy <laughs> talk. But, yeah, once we get to the point that I think like he's a really smart guy. I seem to have he, yeah, he's like this kind of weird, like social progressive, yeah. like conservative yeah. at the same time. Thing. He's doing much better than his diabetic brother, Coldstone C. Austin. <laughs> um, it's a Blaine Capash joke. I'm sorry, Blaine. <laughs> Is that really? That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty quick, Andy. Yeah, that's that's cool. You're all over that. I could have taken credit, but I'm not that kind of guy. That's what the alternative <laughs> comedy movement's about credit where credit's credit where due. Credit you don't steal due. from people, you yeah. do, but then you credit them afterwards. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. So, because I was, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's just been like going on in my head because I'm an anthropologist and I like to think about weird stuff about culture. But like, I really think it's it's largely because of the Daily Show. I think when the I think the Daily Show started and people started going to the Daily Show and they got comedy, but it was about real stuff, you know. Yeah. And I feel like that so pervaded our culture for such a long time that it kind of helped give rise to all these other opportunities, all these places where people want to hear this. You know, they want to hear mm. what comedians have to say about life not just like hey you know take my wife yeah 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 whatever. very zippity doodah zippity doodah comedy yeah. cat skills or whatever the heck it yeah. used yeah. to be or yeah. and, and i mean i you know people would be like eddie murphy was talking about real stuff you know richard Pryor was talking about real stuff i mean people can i'm not it didn't just start with the yeah, daily yeah. show i'm just saying this particular wave 
Yeah, I, re- I don't know what the what the real what the like, patient zero for what caused this either. Like, I, I kind of thought maybe it was about YouTube, and because that's that sort of coincides with that started in two thousand five, and came to prominence a few years later. And that's about when this boom we're in sort of picked up. Maybe it's just easier for anybody across the country if they've got something good to say to get it out there through whatever avenue, whether it's podcasting or YouTube or whatever. And there's a shorter period between when you're toiling in obscurity and being great in your, in your hometown and when you actually get recognized. Like even with Bridgetown, we have this submission process we're pretty proud of we built that makes it easy for anybody to submit with just a YouTube link. And we get probably more than any other festivals in the country because of that. Like we, people don't have to mail things in. So we get this really interesting cross-sectional look at the whole comedy scene in the country and even the world. And yeah, if someone's great and their tape is great, like they'll be in the festival like that. You know, if they just started six months ago, but it's great, they'll be here and they could get like a Conan set out of it. Or more often than not, they've already been discovered these days. By the time we see them, because it's only once a year we're doing this, we find out they already have representation. Like someone we think we were discovering, like, oh no, there's no, there's a very short period if you're good between when you're, yeah, having to be, but that no was, name and when you're blown up. But know? that was the case when you started. That was like a lot of, like we were saying earlier, like so many people. Yeah, because it took longer. But it's like now with, with all the avenues to get your stuff out there. And now your platform, like the festival's platform has changed into like, well, established people come here. Right, lot, you yeah, know, yeah. As opposed to like. Well, we still have a lot of up and comers. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't yeah. mean to. Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good young talent this year too. Yeah, we have, I think half the lineup hasn't done the festival before. So How, how do you guys determine that? Like, is that now important to you? Or are you like, it, we oh. got to get new talent out here too? Yeah, it's always been one of our top priorities is, well, I mean, selfishly, I just love showing off things that I think are good. Like music-wise also, when I used to live in Portland, I had all these house parties and I would love to have local bands play in my basement just to show my friends, like, isn't this awesome? Check out this band. And that's kind of what the festival is. It's like, how come Portland doesn't already know who Kyle Kinane is and love him? Like, yeah. I want to show off this thing that I think is really funny. So it's fun when you can find someone that no one's seen yet also and like showcase them to a, to a whole town full of comedy fans. Right. Sometimes evil lurks in the most mysterious of places. I was at a Trader Joe's <laughs> and I saw a Nazi. I was at a Trader Joe's <laughs> and I saw a Nazi. And when I say I saw a Nazi, I don't mean it was like some guy in a gray suit riding around on the back of a tank going from ethnic food section to ethnic food section. <laughs> like slowly taking them over, <laughs> trying to convince Trader Jose that now is the right time to invade the US. Like it wasn't that. When I say I saw a Nazi, I mean I saw a man, probably in his 50s, wearing a tank top with a gigantic swastika tattoo right on his shoulder. Gigantic swastika tattoo on the shoulder. And because we were at Trader Joe's, I immediately assumed it was the okay kind of swastika. (laughs) Right? Because you know there's two kinds of swastikas. There's like the Buddhist symbol, the original one, and then the Nazis kind of flipped it over, and then there's the Nazi one, right? So one of them faces one way, the other one faces the other way. And we were Trader Joe's. I was like, that must be the Buddhist one. There's the frozen Thai food. Namaste. Have a great rest of your day. Right? Like... (laughs) But because I'm a Jew, there's a rhyme that we all have to learn to teach us which swastika is which. It goes like this. Swastika to the left, that's a Buddhist. Save your breath. Swastika to the right, that's a Nazi. Run! Run! (laughs) Get your things. We're leaving right now. 
We need to go. There's a boat waiting for us. We need to get on that boat. No, you can't say goodbye to your friends. We need to leave right now. Leave the art on the wall. There's not enough room for it. We need to leave right now. Maybe we'll come back for it. Maybe we'll come back. I have no idea, but I don't see this playing out well. We need to go. We need to go. I don't think they're going to like put us in a ghetto and then eventually put us back into the rest of society. That doesn't seem like what's going to happen. Get your things. We're leaving. I'm walking out the door right now. You're coming with me. It's, it's an old Jewish rhyme. It's all, ah. Uh. But listen, this is where my prejudice comes into play. This Nazi was not the only prejudiced person at the Trader Joe's that day. I was also prejudiced because I didn't think a Nazi would ever shop at Trader Joe's. Just based on how they feel about my people, the Jews, I assume that Nazis also hated bargains, which is all they have at Trader Joe's. <laughs> But he was, he was, a, he was a Nazi, he was like a, so I, you know, I did the only thing I could do. I, I planted my feet and I took a deep breath and I mildly inconvenienced him. That's what I did. Yeah, from Oregon, I can be passive aggressive. <laughs> I did, I mildly inconvenienced him. Everywhere he went, I went like three feet in front of him, hella slow, just super slow. <laughs> Taking my sweet time. Everywhere he went in the store, I went too. Oh, you want some McNuts? Mixed nuts? Wunderbar, me too, mixed nuts, let's go. <laughs> And we did this throughout the whole store, throughout the whole store, until, you know, it was time to check out. And uh, it took me way less time to check out than him because honestly, I wasn't really shopping at that point. <laughs> and I decided to with him one last time. So I stood in front of the door as he was leaving and he brushed past me, kind of lowered his shoulder. He was, you know, he was like, watch where you're going. I was like, what did you say? He's like, you heard me. I was like, I did hear you. Is that a swastika on your shoulder? And he was like, yeah, why? And I didn't think I was gonna have to explain why. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. At that point, I thought I'd have been like, well, okay, yeah, you're right. But no, he was like, yeah, why? I was like, that's a symbol of the Nazis. They killed millions of people. He was like, okay, yeah, but not all Nazis were bad. And I was like, oh, oh, you're a dumb Nazi. You're a dumb Nazi. <laughs> they would have killed you next. You know that, right? <laughs> so we kept arguing all the way out into the parking lot, just going at each other, thinking we would eventually get to our separate cars and go our separate ways. But then, and I swear to God this is true, we were parked right next to each other. <laughs> right next to each other in the Trader Joe's parking lot. So we got into our cars, me into my Prius, because I care about the environment. The Nazi got into his car, which was a Subaru Outback. <laughs> I don't, I need to talk about that for another second. He got into a Subaru Outback. The Nazi got into the official automobile of lesbian mothers everywhere. That's what he got into. He got into a Subaru Outback. This guy was down enough with Germany to get a swastika tattooed on his flesh, but not enough to spring for a German automobile? He went to the dealership and was like, oh man, that Beamer's a little bit out of my price range. I'll go with the Subaru. That's like still kind of the right side of World War II, right? Like, <laughs> But we got into our cars, we kept arguing with each other, right? And like, then he said something which was so distasteful that I won't repeat it. But I got out of my car and I was ready to fight him. I was, and I've never been in a fight before, but I thought this would be like a pretty good first fight. You know what I mean? Like, if you're at a party and people are like telling stories about their first fights and then it got to me and I'm like, I beat up a Nazi in a Trader Joe's parking lot. 
the next person would be like, I don't want to go. I don't want to tell mine. <laughs> I was ready to go too. And he was a big dude. He was a big dude. But I'm a big dude too, right? I'm a big Jew. For a Jew, I'm a big Jew. Like, I feel like, I'm, I feel like I'm the evolutionary answer to the Holocaust. Like a little, you know what I mean? Like, I would have been in a concentration camp like three years, still this fat. Wouldn't have lost any weight. Nazis would have been up in the tower like, why is he still fat? What's going on? Who has been feeding the pig Jew? <laughs> I've been eating shoes. They're everywhere. Oh, uh. You know, nothing happened, and then nothing happened. We just kind of got in our cars and drove away. We didn't fight or anything like that. And I know that's kind of anticlimactic, but I tell that story just so I can say this. You know, I know that the Nazis came from Germany, and that was an ugly period in Germany's history, but I don't think we should, like, I don't hate Germany as a country because of that. You know, it was a terrible period in their history, but I don't hate them because that happened. You know, I think, if anything, I'm happy when good things happen to Germany because it gives them an opportunity to sort of rewrite their history, right? To sort of like reestablish who they are as a people, as a nation, as a country. So I think it's wonderful. Like earlier this summer, uh, Germany's soccer team won the World Cup. They won the World Cup, right? That was great. I think it was fantastic. It's so nice that they finally have something gold that they didn't rip out of my grandmother's mouth. It's so nice. <laughs> Germany, it'll never be cool. It'll never be cool, Germany. That was Ian Carmel from his album 9.2 on Pitchfork. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Andy Wood and Shane Torres. How do you guys pick? Because I've noticed the last few years you've been doing a lot more like shows. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of people on our, on our team like Riley Newton, Whitney Street have been making a lot of these shows that are great that have themes. Like a lot of shows are submitted. We also have a submission process for for like theme shows. But even once we have the lineup solidified, they go through and try to find commonalities between comics that would make for an interesting way to put them together or the, the things that when you read them in the program, you're like, ooh, is that problematic? But like, no, it was their idea. Like uh, Guy Branham's Gay Bash, which is a, obviously <laughs> a showcase of all gay comics and his his name, Guy's name for it. So uh, we're not gonna, why am I sweating? I'm actually sweating <laughs> right now. Your uh, fault. Yeah. Yes. So we have lots of fun shows like that. And then of course, lots of great theme shows like Brian Cook's Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction. Which, yeah. Which is I mean, like ridiculous show where people have to write uh, on the spot they, they're given a topic like the smurfs and then they have half an hour to go right yeah the there's five prepared story. pieces in front yeah so there's 10 comics in total and five prepared pieces in front and then five audience suggested pieces and they vote on them and like i one time i did it and i got shane's gross ponytail was my suggestion you had to write a sexual i had to write, I had to write a sexual story, story about my own hair which i got trail of tears one time which isn't <laughs> even pop culture and that <laughs> yeah. was really problematic yeah uh, sometimes some people will be like my dad's dog woofer yeah. and then you get that but like but i mean it's just a, it's a really disgusting filthy show and it's like the nice thing about it is i think you can go as far out as you can take it on that show yeah. and the audience seems to be not too willing to be offended by any of it in that show. Yeah, like, within that bubble of that show, everyone yeah. knows every, anything yeah, goes. You, like, but once you're out the door, you can't, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. 
start talking about whatever kind of fluids were flying all over the place. <laughs> and that's interesting because then how do you pick how big of a venue you put a show like that in? Like, because that's going to appeal to certain people, but not everybody, right? That actually, he tours with that show around the country and sells, sells out. He like, sells it really? out in Brooklyn yeah. all the time. Well, in Brooklyn, a, please, of course. It's yeah. a hot show. And there are a bunch of sexual miscreants over yeah, there. Yeah, there's gross little South Brooklyn freaks. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, we were one of the first places that ever had that show happened. I think Riley saw him do it once in Seattle and was like, we got to get this at Bridgetown. And it was perfect. It was like, it's such a, like a perfect, like, so when Brian's such a can- cantankerous little, <laughs> it's like, he's, he's the perfect person to host it because he's like, I don't care what any of you yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think did, the first year I saw it was at Tabor, I think. Probably. It's been in like 10 years, it's been nine different things. I think. So funny. Yeah. God. So how do you find it working with the city of Portland, like all the venues and everything? Because I would imagine every year it basically changes like yeah, what the it's... opportunities are for venues and where they are. And I've, I mean, you know, I know as a consumer, it's like, I'm a, I am a pain in the butt anyway, because I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. So it's like my nights out are limited to begin with. Yeah. And there's some nights where I'm like, you want me to go to where? Right, you want me right. to drag my butt to that? All the way to loop? North Sandy? Exactly. <laughs> Forget about that. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's not five blocks from where I am right now. Yeah, I'm not going. Yeah. Well, that, we wanted it from the start to be like what I imagined. I'd never been to a comedy festival before when we started this, but I was like, well, if it's if you're calling it a festival, that should be like a thing where you can walk to everything and you're just going around. Yeah, you have like, one pass, like, you have a wristband, and you can just go everywhere. So we just built it that way, having never seen other versions of it. So it's always been a priority to make it this walkable thing and to make it affordable to get one pass to go see everything. So then you have a reason to go check out shows you wouldn't otherwise check out. And it gets harder and harder just because every year the venues change ownership and the city gets more popular, things get more expensive. And the bummer is like with the festival, you don't own, nine years in, we don't really own anything. We don't own any infrastructure. We own a name and Mm -hmm. a, a reputation. And every year we just have to go around to these venues and renegotiate with the new owners who have never heard of this festival. Like we just start from square one every year and it's just, wow. it's, it's really hard. Which yeah. is also kind of insane that they it, do, it, they yeah. haven't heard of it after nine years. Well, I mean, years but if it's a brand, if it's a person that just moved here to open a new venue or something or take over the, yeah, the remains like, of- If that person just moved here to take over a venue, like- Aren't you kind of like just like feasting on the corpse that used to be Portland? Well, that's everyone is. Yeah, but I was like, we have to find spaces to do the shows. We want them to be close to each other. So we're at the mercy of whatever those spaces are. Yeah. You know, and they're great. Like Doug Fur Lounge, which is going to be the Kill Rockstar sponsored stage this year, is such an amazing venue. And they're always so good to us. And comics love playing there. So that's one of the ones where it's like every year they're like, yes, please come back. We love having you here. Like, well, we love using you guys. That's that's easy. But. By the way, Shane, we have now found the name of your podcast, Feasting on the Corpse, the corpse that, that Used to, to Be Portland. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect for you. Well, like, I remember how it used to be, like, when you did it up on the Barmuda Triangle, like, you'd go to the Eagles Lodge. And oh, my God. Like, that was the yeah, best, though. That, that was, like, the favorite venue because all these old women who would, like, shuffle their feet across the floor tending bar would just be like, I'll get to you when I get yeah. to you. And they have no respect for, like, the art around them. There's like, ah, there's another kid with a nose ring in here. Big yeah. shit. <laughs> Like they were terrible. And that one security the, guard. Oh, the security was guard was like every comic. Yeah, the security guard would be like somebody would be doing a joke. He's like, "That's not what your mom said." Like, and he's like, "I'm talking about President Obama." Right? Yeah. <laughs> he would just be like, "Ha ha ha!" It was the oh best. And you had to sign in there. Like, no. Oh yeah, you, you yeah. Had to, like there was like secure. Yeah, yeah, it was so ridiculous oh, and so hilarious. fun. Yeah. So what kind of numbers are you looking at these days? I mean, I'm assuming. Uh, dollars? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like numbers of attendees. Oh, I think last year in total, like number of heads walking through doors throughout the weekend was like 10,000. But that, awesome. you know, that's 
I'm not sure the exact number of unique people because we're not, you know, when people have wristbands, we're not like tracking every sure, of course. like 10,000 seats. Yes. Is that what you basically? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Throughout the course of the weekend and the biggest venue seats about 775, I think. And last year we filled that up for Dr. Katz 20th anniversary. I so, was there. Yeah, it was a great show. It, it was, was so much show. fun. Yeah. So yeah, we have a lot of, a lot of venues that are in the like one to 300 seat size, which is really like a sweet spot for comedy, I think. Yeah. Definitely. That's cool. And I mean, have you guys, uh, see, because that should be, at least that's your ace in the hole with the venues, right? Yeah. Like, you can pull out the numbers and be right, like, look right. how many people we did last year. Yeah. It's just, it's just hard just because Portland does change so much and, and things do get more expensive. Like the, the crunch that everyone's feeling with housing, you know, hits everything else too. So it's, but I love, we love doing it and like we wouldn't do it anywhere else, obviously. So it's, yeah. uh, I didn't really know before nine years ago. I mean, I haven't really been paying attention to comedy before five years ago yeah. very strongly. So I don't really know what it was like, what the scene was like across the nation with comedy festivals. But mm-hmm. I know that now it's similar to podcasts. It's like every single it's... tiny city has a comedy <laughs> festival. I won't. He won't say this, but it, it is true. Bridgetown is a template for a lot of festivals across the Oh, I'll country. say it. People yeah. have uh, ripped us off. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am not surprised to hear yeah, that at all. But like, uh, like I'll go, I'll go do like a festival in, where was it? I was like, Atlanta. And it's like, it's like, oh, you're doing the exact same thing that Andy and everybody did well, nine years ago. And again, which we is the great. First, yeah, we weren't the first comedy festival or anything either. It's, but the, yeah. the attitude and the, the culture around it is the same. It's like, it wasn't like, there wasn't a ton of industry at first. Yeah. So like, it was like, oh, comics hanging out. You get to enjoy some really funny people, and then you're all just drunk by the end of it. And yeah, tired. yeah, yeah. And then you know, like you got to expose yourself to a new audience, which was like, I mean, like, and these festivals happen every single place now. Like yeah. every state has at least two of them. It's, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, there's it's at least crazy. five or six. Who, Austin who, has three. <laughs> that's that's nuts. Yeah. Right. Well, they have like a festival based economy in that yeah. city. Though, so <laughs> yeah. in, it, it's not too different from here. To yeah. Be honest, but. But there's ones that like friends of mine have admit have been like, hey, we're gonna do this thing. Like even high planes, like they don't make any bones about it. Like yeah, we we wanted to do what you were doing in Denver. I'm like, great, you have my blessing. Like I don't. But yeah. it's just funny because I think like five or six different people have seen Bridgetown and then started their own, and most of those fail. And if they ask me for advice, I'm like, don't do it, dude. It's hard. <laughs> there's no guarantees of money. It is fun when it works, and it's great to be able to like get a bunch of fun comics together and have a blast of a weekend but yeah. like it's it's a slog you know my friend he's actually come to the festival Gilbert Lawand. oh yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah he's like a really funny he's Iraqi born but he grew up like an hour outside of Atlanta so he's like this super ethnic looking dude with a real heavy southern accent <laughs> but he started a festival in Atlanta it's like a Bridgetown style festival called Red Clay and he's like oh man it's gonna be great you know like 60 comics we're starting small and I was like 60 is a lot of yeah, people to take care of yeah and then he was just like like two days in the festival, he's like, I didn't get one set in. Everything is screwed. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we're going to do it again next year. There's <laughs> a reason. I mean, like even HBO's Aspen Festival went under because it was too expensive to like, it's just, it's a hard business to be in. Well, it's like, I, like, I just think it's like, yeah, so many festivals. It's like, it's a, that's a lot of expenses for like. It's just a lot more moving parts than you would think when you come to see it. You're like, oh, this seems like a really fun and straightforward thing. It's yeah. like, well, you'd be surprised all the things that happen. I think it's like one of those things, as wonderful as some of the talent you have coming in is, nobody knows who they are yet. So they are like, yeah, they well, are not just an expense, but they are an expensive, like they're kind of a loss in a way. Sort of, yeah. And that's why we make the wristbands affordable so that people will have that 
incentive to then go check out those other shows once yeah. they've already bought in for the whole thing because there are so, like you can look at our track record of people that we had before they blew up who are now you know SNL cast members Daily Show writers like running comedy selling out theaters right so if you just trust that we still have the that other, same good I went taste, the other way oh come on <laughs> I went the, it's, it's going <laughs> yeah I went you're the doing other great way. yeah but I mean, if you trust our our judgment to be as good as it always has been, then like take a chance on some names you don't know yet because they are the stars of tomorrow. Like such great, great comics. Yeah. Like who are you excited to see this year? I'm trying to think of ones who were like standouts from the submissions. We had Natalie Palomides from UCB at this submission tape. That's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. It wasn't even really stand-up. It was like a sketch character. It was this worm that was dying of thirst and begging someone in the audience for water or even just to spit in her mouth <laughs> for like seven minutes. And it was, the, I was just dying. And she's doing the Lance Bangs show on, awesome. on Thursday at Rev Hall. Yeah. Awesome. So a- many great things, like just glorious weirdos. <laughs> I'm just skimming through some other names of, of people we haven't had before who are really great. Kate Willett's really funny. Josh Androsky's making his first appearance. He went on uh, The Price is Right on Mushrooms, yeah. and he got called down by Drew Carey. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> said he was he had, a skateboarding rabbi, who yeah, was his did, profession. Do you know what he said to Drew Carey? Drew Carey asked him, like, he goes, what is a skateboard rabbi? And Josh goes, we turn religious extremism into religious extremism. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so many great people. Jeffrey Asmus, Janelle James, Gilbert Law, and like just, there's 140 people. You can visit BridgetownComedy.com and... Check out the profiles of all of them and all the shows. Like we have Amy Mann coming with uh, Ted, Ted Leo. Leo. Yeah. Like just selfishly as a music fan, I like to put on things like this. I don't care if it's a technically comedy. This is my favorite. <laughs> and they're doing a music and comedy kind of variety show. And a similar thing with Baked, which is Brendan Small from Metalocalypse and mm-hmm. Home Movies, his band with Steve Agee. They have world-class players like the drummer toured with Duran Duran for a while. The guitarist plays with Mastodon. And they bring comics on to do a set and then play with the band. And so many mm. comics are surprisingly great musicians. Like Jonah Ray is a phenomenal is he, metal drummer. Yeah, yeah he's he did really the Metallica good. song last time I saw him. And like Andy Kindler moved to LA to be a guitarist. Yeah, he was like a jazz musician. Yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. A, and he did a song by the band last year on that show. Yeah, Baked is that show. And that one's phenomenal too. Cool. Yeah. So on Saturday night, Saturday 9 o'clock, <laughs> the Kill Rockstars showcase, we have Wimps, awesome mm-hmm. band, Rhea Butcher, Nathan Brandon, Amy Miller, and a special secret guest who shall not be named. <laughs> and our MC, hearkening back to wacky, really weird comedy, if people are interested, is Jason Traeger. Excellent. One of my excellent. all-time favorites. I've known Jason for like 16 years. And he's oh, always really? been a complete oh. weirdo. <laughs> yeah. And now his comedy is so bizarre. Yeah. It's excellent. He yeah, he was he's such an interesting person. Like, because he was like a great photographer, too. Yeah, great photographer, but he wasn't he was like a roadie for like anti-flag or someone like that. Like he's done a lot of, I believe it. He's, he's had some crazy jo- stuff. I had him on my short lived radio show and he was like, yeah, he's like, I think it was like 1991 or something. And I was like, I was the guitar tech for the circle jerks or someone like that. I was like, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he looks so young. Yeah. yeah and he's like, 60 or something. Lived a thousand <laughs> <He's> years. 60. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell him that when I see him. You can tell him. Guess uh, how old Shane uh, thinks you are. <laughs> he's so young looking though. Tell you a little bit about me. A lot of people assume I was a nerd growing up. That's not fair. It's untrue and offensive. I was not a nerd. Nerds had other nerds to hang out with and play D&D. I was a spazzy weirdo. We're our own thing. Kind of the bad boys of the general loser community, if you would. 
all of the alienation, none of the brains. I couldn't find anyone that was into what I was into as a kid. I'll give you an example. When I was 11, my dad made me scrambled eggs for breakfast one morning, and I said, this is amazing, what's in this? And he said, oregano. So naturally, I took a small tub of oregano and I taped a string to it and I wore it as a necklace every day to school for three months. And because I'm from San Francisco, my parents just let me do that. They were just like, go on out into the world, be free, follow your heart. Who are we to stop you? You're actually uh, literally the only people who could stop me. That's kind of your job description, actually. You are the barrier between me and the world seeing me with this garbage around my neck and you're dropping the ball. I was like, this is cool, right? I'm the oregano girl now. You all better pick a spice because oregano is spoken for. <laughs> I think what I'm trying to say is it took me a really long time to lose my virginity. <laughs> That's the point of that story. The weird thing was though, no one made fun of me about that. I was not bullied and I deserved it. Some kids do. <laughs> No one ever called me names, beat me up, shoved me in a locker, anything like that. Instead, the cool kids just wrote really backhanded compliments in my yearbook. Like two different people wrote, I just love how you don't care what anyone thinks about you. <laughs> Which was news. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What, what makes you think? I don't, I mean, I don't care, but how did you know? I don't care what people think about me. Oh, you know, just um, how you dress and behave. <laughs> I mean, because if you cared what people thought about you, you'd do both of those so differently. I went to a private school though, so like maybe that is just how rich people bully each other, you know, just like real passive aggressively. Just like, you know what I love about you? <laughs> You're so unique. You're like, none of us. <laughs> you know what I love about you? You march to the beat of a different drummer. Yeah, a drummer whose first instrument is not the drums. <laughs> I might have been asking for it, though, considering what I wrote in their yearbooks, which was just, the prophecy is complete in my own blood. Every yearbook, too, I was so dizzy by the end of that day. That was Emily Heller from her album, Good For Her. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Andy Wood and Shane Torres.
You want to tell us anything else about the festival that we should know? Well, you can buy, as I said, the full passes, or you can just pay for individual shows. You can just pay at the door as you enter, so you can check out things here and there. We have a fun thing we used to do at the Tanker when it was on Hawthorne. It's now going to be in the first floor of Analog Cafe on Hawthorne, which is an, an open mic going the entire time. That's just oh, wow. festival comedians. And whenever we do that, even the biggest names stop in and do sets. That's a pretty fun way if you don't want to commit to one show, but you want to just like check out that what what if you if you're asking yourself what is stand up comedy uh, you can answer that by coming to check out the open mic. It's and a bloodbath. Yeah. Sometimes it's you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's a mic, so it is yeah. what it is. But like it's but, great comics doing it. So but sometimes uh, you'll see Hannibal come in and do like a half hour right, like, of right. like new material about the Webbies or whatever. He's you never to. know what you're yeah. gonna get. It's like the Dum Dums mystery flavor lollipop. But yeah, so you can do that, or you can visit BridgetownComedy.com to see all the shows and performers and. Pick and choose. We have great, great podcasts. Also, speaking of podcasts, like Crab Rod, Feast, this Crab year. Feast with Jay Larson and Ryan Sickler, right. Roderick on the Line with John Roderick from Long Winters right. is my current favorite podcast. And I'm really what pumped. Is that? I don't even that. know what that is. It's just a conversation between Merlin Mann and John Roderick, but they're both just such brilliant guys, and they like they're, they're kind of friends that like share a brain. Okay. And Roderick's just this amazing raconteur. I don't know if you know his music at all. No, I'm but, not familiar, um, but he ran for city council this past year. He's he's a really interesting dude. Yeah, yeah. it's a great, it's just a two person conversation, but the best possible version of that. And it's called what again? Was Roderick on the line. Roderick yeah. on the line. Awesome. And Shane, why don't you tell us what you're up to these days? Uh, Come on. Generally, I'm on the road a ton, but are you talking about at the festival? What are we, or just in general? Just in, in general. Life? Okay. What are you doing oh. in life? What are you doing at the festival? I'm on the road a lot. So you can catch me at shaneisacomedian.com if you just go there. All my stuff's on my website and it's pretty up to date. And then at the festival, I'll be hosting one of the hour slots at the at the open mic. And then nice. I think there's a Shane Torres happy hour show, nice. which will be... Uh, I'm sure a real mess. <laughs> and then uh, it'll be better than last year's show that themed me. What? Oh, that one that was the, the opening yeah, thing. That yeah. was great. I love that. It was horrible for me. It was like a public execution. So one thing I wanted to, to say to both of you guys is that one thing I have noticed is that nobody I've ever talked to who's a comedian has ever said to me, I wish I wasn't a comedian. Nobody doesn't want this job, it seems. Oh. Even though it's hard. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, well, it, but who's saying that that's actually making money at doing comp? <laughs> like, obviously, yeah. they must want it because they're probably still working. Well, not, towards... I mean, not everyone I know is making money. You know, they're just, they're working hard. They're working, right. but they're not necessarily, you know, not everybody can be Ian Carmel. Right, people. right, right. That's what I mean. Like, if you, <laughs> A lot of people <laughs> could be Ian Carmel. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody gets into this years. for the money. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to be in love with it to keep doing it. Right, it's too right. hard of a thing to do and like the, the valleys and the are so low and the highs are so high that it's like you have to be able to hand, you have to really love it to handle those kind of swings with it because it's yeah. it can be so miserable <laughs> like but it's also the best thing in the world like and the first time you do like you have a good set right, like right. a legitimately good set is the best feeling you'll ever like it's like junk it's like heroin it's like the, it only gets worse like you <laughs> you need more of it to keep getting right. better but yeah i mean i don't i can't think of a better thing in the world you know i mean i'm i have no prospects and no money and i'm 34 well, and i'm still pretty happy <laughs> that's what some people say is like you don't have a backup plan because then you have that risk of using going to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the first place i did comedy was like that hungry tiger too right over there oh like, yeah yeah right. yeah it was a just ate it for three minutes, and I was like, oh, I'm in love with this. You was, didn't have a single part of that three-minute set that went well? Because I thought I usually— I opened with what I thought would be my closer. I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. And it was a joke about— 
it was just so gross. It wasn't fun. You know, it was just like, and there was blood everywhere. You know, like it was just horrible. And I was like, I killed it. it like, I just was so sure I crushed it. Uh-huh. And then I got off stage and, somebody, and I thought like, clearly somebody would be like, you are great, man. You got to keep coming back here. And no one said anything, no one's, anything to me. That's so, I thought most comic stories were like the first time they went up, they did pretty well. And that kept them going the next 10 times were, shit, but they remember that first time. And that's what kept them trying. Yeah. But, I, I think it's probably, I think your first, the first time you get a laugh is probably the most dangerous set you can have yeah, because yeah. it's going to make you want to keep coming yeah. back. But my sets have been consistently bad for about eight and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not true. Yeah. The but, you know, that's knows. what I mean. It's like, I talk to comedians all the time and this is the kind of stuff they say, you know, and they still want it. They still love it. And it's just, to me, it's very different. Musicians tend to be, if they don't make it, if they don't get a lot of recognition right away, they turn into these bitter, angry people. Oh, wait, just, oh wait a second. No, so is the implication that you haven't met any bitter, angry comics? No, 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 no. no. Yeah. But what I'm saying is they're bitter, angry people who say, well, fine, you can't appreciate my music. I will take my music away from you. I will punish you by not being a musician anymore. I'm going to go be a stockbroker or something. Mm. Do you know? And comedians, I feel like they just keep coming back. They're like, you have to keep coming back. You can't just be like, nobody quits. Like people are not quitting. That's the part that is interesting to me. That's also part of the problem. Yeah. No, but the boom we're talking about, there's a flip side of that, which is like, we're in this culture right now where everybody wants to be a creator. Like everyone wants to be in the creative class. And what what looks like the easiest art form or performance art form to get into, stand-up looks like the easiest because theoretically all you're doing is just getting behind a microphone and saying And it doesn't cost you anything to start it. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one would pick up a guitar for the first time on a stage. You would be practicing at home, obviously. There's no right. possible way you could pick up, but you could do nothing and then step on stage one time at a mic and say you're a comedian. And a lot of people are doing that as we see from the submissions. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so we're in a boom of sorts, but it's not always an economic boom in the comedy world. It's just like a boom where everyone's doing it because everyone wants to be in the creative class sort of. And that's yeah. the easiest way to do it. And lots of them shouldn't. It's the easiest way to try to do it. Like I always say, well, you're both musicians. So like, the thing is, you know how you can p- literally play a wrong note when yeah. you're playing an instrument? That is like a non-existent theory right, in right. comedy. There's only the wrong player for the note. So that's the problem. It's because so, someone can just be like, well, you don't get my art. You don't get my creativity. Yeah. It's like, no, it's just no one laughed. No one will ever like you. Stop <laughs> doing comedy. It's that's, the best I art would, form for delusional people. That I would yes. imagine that the actual truth is that it's the same problem with artists across the board, which is that most people are just mediocre. Most yeah, people are just yeah. not that great, but not that terrible. They're so just right in the middle. Yeah. And that's the exact problem with musicians, too. You know, yeah. It's like I get demos every single day of bands are perfectly competent. They sound great, but they don't sound like any, you know, they don't blow my head off. They're yeah. not super awesome. And you say to these people, you're like, well... Go ahead. You want to? You're enjoying yourself. You're having fun writing right, songs. Right. Please, you know, continue. But don't. And this isn't making me go. Oh my god! You're I'm not losing profi- sleep. You're not profound. Like yeah, there's. They're not. Um, they don't stand out as special. Exactly. Yeah, they just sound exactly. Very, just and I, I very feel like capable. there's because even like a really terrible musician is kind of fun to listen to, or a really terrible comedian. You're kind right, of like, right. oh, like yeah. a train wreck. Yeah. Oh in a my way, god, it's yeah. kind of awesome. But like that, just middle of the road. There's plenty of people you see. You're just like, heh. <laughs> Right, eh, you know, yeah, oh, like, that joke was you should okay. Stand out, yeah. Like, like it's like the people are like, I, I crushed, and sometimes you see them crush. You know, like you see these hacks. Like, yeah, well, they're not even hacks. They're just very. None of their jokes sound like something nobody else could tell. You know, like, right. exactly. that, yeah, like 
So and they do kill, but it's just like, yeah, like I mean, that's yeah. You memorized a bunch of words and said them quickly. Yeah, so you got Nickelback a sold a lot of yeah, albums. Yeah, you know? Exa- exactly. And that's my point. That is exactly my point. What we're all looking for in every art form is the voice that stands out. Yeah, right? that's unique. That's somebody who couldn't be anybody else. Yeah. You know, it's like you hear Pat Oswalt. It's Pat Oswalt, for example. You yeah. know, just because you brought. Yeah, 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 like, you know. yeah. Very much Coltrane is Coltrane right. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And and that's I think what everyone's striving for. Obviously, everyone can't achieve that. Yeah, but that is that is the interesting. You know thing. what the irony about it though is? It's like you may not stand out, but you can still be super successful. Like Nickelback is super successful. Yeah, and there's nothing that impressive about them. Well, right? and, and, and comedy. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. Comedy has a middle class, I think, that, that music might not have because there's this system of comedy clubs with a standardized pay system yeah. where music, I don't think, really has that, right? You're always just negotiating with clubs. Like, there isn't a built-in, like, MC, feature, headliner, and, an, and, a, but, and like a sort a of budget, base pay budget. for all those yeah. and a structure to it, which is weird that we have that, but it's also just good because you can make a middle class living for a long career and be someone the average person doesn't know by name or face at all. That's So true. there is this yeah. whole... There's there are all these levels to comedy that would surprise you, and yeah, you can be mediocre but learn the kind of tricks of the trade and eke out a living that way. But you know, it's not the most interesting career um, in my eyes. But I don't know why you would want to do this job particularly if you weren't like as a as a as a like a career like that as a career. Like if you were just like, well, it's my lunch pail day. I've, you know yeah, what I mean? I like, found a way to crack the code. Like well, if it doesn't actually excite you, why would you have gone through all yeah, this yeah. to do it? Because you know? there's so many more profitable businesses yeah, to be a yeah. part of than just like, like there are some comics who are great businessmen and not brilliant comedians. Like they figure out a great bumper sticker that goes with their oh, tag and, and they, they can sell that. After kill, you know, but they like, they'll, they'll like play everywhere because they're just brilliant marketers or whatever yeah, their yeah. thing is. And I'm just like, if you're so good at that, and then you're like, but their art is terrible. Right, right. Yeah. I was like, I want. I don't know why you would not pick a better business to be in. Like, Apply those marketing skills. Yeah, like a real estate else. or something. You know, like, like a, you might as well be rich if you're not going to, like, right. be, like, hardworking at the thing you're, you know, at the business you're in or passionate about, yeah, at the yeah. very least. Yeah, but that's, I feel like what we're saying, I mean, we're saying the same thing because in music and in comedy you know, the vast majority of people want something that's this sort of like easy to digest, something recognizable. I mean, there's plenty, like yeah. the nickelback of comedy, yeah. like people and want there's that. there's a place for that stuff. And there's too. a place for that, for yeah. sure. I that's mean, why I can people think watch of, Law and Order. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they like want that. the same thing every it's day. Like, I don't have to be invested in it. It can just be on. Well, it's like comfort, you know, it's comforting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And there's plenty of comedians who've made it to a, that level yeah, where yeah. you just watch them and you're like, what? But they're like the nickelback of- right of comedy for sure kill to be the nickelback of comedy (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe not something to aspire to yeah yeah i want to be the nickelback i would play arena canadian (laughs) arena i want to be creed i do find now that like you have you can find your own people now though like some comics yeah yeah. if if you have like a 500 no what five thousand fans around the country that are like that will that are guaranteed fans of yours you can make a you can tour on like a decade for that you know yeah I mean, that may be true. There's something close. It's got to be more than 5,000. Whatever. Someone had some number. It was like, then every market you can get, you know, 200 people out and you can just come around once a year and and keep those people happy. Yeah, get your As long as you keep giving them new New, stuff. Yeah, I'm not saying they're diehard. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's true. I wonder who. I don't know. The number was higher than that. I wonder what what comics play arenas. Arenas right now? Well, right at Moda Center this weekend, there's that, isn't like Eddie Griffin and Charlie Murphy and a bunch of people are doing 
Moda Center this weekend. Is that going on, really? I think so, yeah. Jesus. And then people like, Brian Regan does theaters, not arenas. Yeah, I mean, he plays, I think he's the he funniest person be. alive by far. Like or maybe David Tell, we were talking David about Tell, yeah, yeah, we were like freaking out about that. And Amy Schumer does arenas now, I think, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, and so yeah, like, yeah, there's like, I guess there's like five or six guys, yeah. comics. Oh, uh, Kevin Hart. Yeah, Kevin, he's mm-hmm. the bi- he's the biggest comic yeah, he's in the world. The, yeah. He plays arenas everywhere, not just New York or yeah. Yeah, or LA. Yeah, yeah. You know, he plays in he plays arenas in big and smaller markets too. Like mm-hmm. he'll fill the Charlottesville arena or whatever. Like yeah, he's, he's like this this phenomenon. He's, 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 he's the rare exception of like businessman meets comedian. Right, capable, right. very capable at both. Yeah. And he built all his stuff through social media too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he got huge. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> we we got all kind of, wasn't that real great? Yeah, like let's talk about the, the business just, of comedy. Some yeah. Well, I mean, this this is a music business show, yeah. so I mean, it's to me, it's really interesting. I think it's always interesting to see how the yeah. sausage gets made and what's really going on with yeah. people. That should be that would be a good name for a podcast. How the sausage gets made. How the sausage gets made. Yeah, fantastic. So the Bridgetown Comedy <laughs> Festival Bridgetown Comedy. is June 1st through June 5th. So mm-hmm. that's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Five days for some reason. Five unbelievable days of comedy. So yeah, get your wristbands, get your passes. Yeah. It's going to be fantastic. And Andy Wood is the co-founder and director of said festival. And Shane Torres is just a hilarious comedian yeah. about the country. I was a doorman at the first festival. <laughs> I was a volunteer. Is that how you got into comedy? Yeah, I was like, this looks pretty easy. In <laughs> I the, think I could do this. Yeah, that's no exactly problem. how I thought. You got the goods, kid. Thanks. Get up there. Get <laughs> yeah, up there. You're like, nine years from now, I'm not going to have a podcast, so I better do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I have a podcast I should plug, too. Is that bad to plug? No, uh, please. I Are you a, kidding? I have a podcast called Probably Science that I do with Matt Kirshen, where we have comedians on, talk about the week's science news stories, or more often recently, we've had actual science guests on talking about discoveries and gravitational waves and all kinds of cool sciencey stuff because i used to be an engineer before i got into comedy oh that explains the haircut the haircut oh. <laughs> so... and with that low blow mm. yeah jesus keep your <laughs> i got an engineer's haircut guys i guess yeah. okay you, you, know you got a very you got a 39 year old's almost 40 haircut. <laughs> yes this is a sensible mortgage paying haircut there yeah. you yeah. go yeah. you know yeah I don't, comedy I don't, field i don't know about that no, i don't good. have one you gotta I work on room. the shane yeah. I, oh, that haircut would give, if I, I had, had a haircut, the shane, i had the shane in like 2001 yeah it looked good on you you've, have you seen the picture of that yeah you're naturally good looking i don't man, know if though. it looks good it works good uh, on you okay guys Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah. It was great. That Thanks, was you guys. Thank you. Yay. Bye. Bye. And that's our show. The music and comedy we played today was used by permission. You heard Ian Carmel, Emily Heller, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. For more info on the shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. Can I have a taste of your ice cream?